You know, I got to say this to you this morning. There is nowhere I would rather be than right here with you, worshiping God, hearing his voice, singing together with you, serving with you. Even though it's going to be 53 degrees and sunny today, and I could be, yes, we can clap. Thank you. There's nowhere I would rather be than right here with you, brothers and sisters in the faith. You know, and as we're closing up this series called Imitation Generosity, we've gotten the opportunity to take a look at what generosity is in the eyes of God and what it is not. And particularly today, we're talking about this idea that nothing is impossible. You know, so many people have so many different kinds of experiences with the church. And many people think that the church is only about asking for their money. Now, for you and I, who come here and worship together and know each other, we know that, especially here at Trinity, that's just not true. But the world outside these doors, the people that we interact with every single day, sometimes are tempted to believe that the church is just about money. And so when we did this generosity series planning, we wanted to make sure and incorporate a number of different ways that generosity can be expressed. And we're going to kind of summarize that today and then give us an opportunity to respond to God's call with all those different kinds of generosity or those expressions of generosity. But what I want us to see from the very beginning is that when people interact with God around subjects that include generosity, especially those subjects that include money and the giving of money, that there is no money and there is no gift given that supersedes the cross of Jesus Christ. There is only one thing that connects people with God. When those two fingers in that painting come together, it's kind of a misnomer. It's kind of, a, um, it's kind of a, a, an off-putting idea that man and God can touch fingers because there's only one person who can make that happen. And his name is Jesus. So whenever we talk about an exchange between God and humanity, between God and you and me, there is nothing that we talk about in the church that doesn't have Jesus at the center of it. So when we talk about giving money or talk about giving time or giving space in our life, um, giving, you know, an hour's worth of time over coffee, talking to someone, listening to what's going on with them. There's nothing that we give and or receive in the church that doesn't have Jesus right at the middle of it. There's no way that I can give something and be closer to God. There's no way that I can do something in the kingdom of God and earn a closer space to God, like in the front row of God's performance in life. There's only one way that we come close to God, and that's through Jesus. Amen? So why would we not look at generosity, the subject of generosity, through the lens of Jesus Christ and the way he builds generosity in us? That's why every year we take at least a month and we dial things back and we take a look at what God is capable of doing. Now, this morning in particular, as I said, we're talking about the impossible, now, maybe sometime in your life, you've been tempted to believe that one of the ways we are called to be generous in our life is impossible for you. Maybe at one point of life, your finances were so tight that you couldn't give a dime to your church body. 
Maybe at one point in your life, things were falling apart in your life and you couldn't spend time listening to someone else's troubles. Maybe at one point in your life, you were working on Sunday mornings and you couldn't serve at church or serve in the community because you were working 60 hours a week. Maybe in those days and times, and maybe you're in those days and times right now, for all we know, maybe you felt like being a part of the generosity of Jesus was impossible. You know what? That's okay. And we say that a lot here because we are covered in the grace of Jesus from the time we believe for how long? For eternity. And for us, that means we can't lose when it comes to generosity. If we've never been generous before and we come into the church by the grace of God through Jesus and we learn what God's generosity looks like in Jesus... It's just an opportunity. It is not a mandate to earn our salvation. We are here by the grace of God through Jesus. So why would we not focus on Jesus at the center of the subject of generosity? In fact, I believe that it was Jesus who caused the waters of the Red Sea to part in front of Moses with his staff. I believe that it was Jesus who did the impossible things with Israel as they were led through the desert. I believe that it was Jesus who worked through the Apostle Paul and through the Apostle Peter to heal people on the street in Jerusalem who had no hope, who looked at their life and saw it as impossible. I believe that Jesus was the one who did that healing, who did that parting, who did that giving. I believe that Jesus was the one who made all those miracles happen. And Jesus doesn't make those miracles happen for our spiritual or religious entertainment. Jesus makes those miracles happen because there's something else going on behind the scenes. Now, we're looking at this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And you'll find this in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And starting in verse 5, we'll see some scriptures unfold in front of us. But what I want you to do is picture in your mind, as you see Jesus getting ready to minister to thousands of people, this idea... The idea that Jesus had just been around and had been performing miracles. He had been healing people. People who had been sick their whole lives had been well for the first time. So Jesus was beginning to earn a reputation. In fact, he earned a following. So hundreds of people and then even thousands of people began to follow Jesus around, hoping to be touched by his miraculous nature. The Bible captures one of these events where it says 5,000 men which means that if those 5,000 men had wives and children, it was more like a crowd of twelve to 14,000 people, right? What I want you to see is a miracle that takes place with two particular dynamics at work. One, the smallness, and two, the bigness. Whenever you see miracles happen in the Bible, I want you to think of two things, two dynamics, the smallness and the bigness. Let's take a look at the scripture together. This is in John chapter 6. As I said, this starts in verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, one of his disciples, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now notice Jesus didn't say these people should have brought their lunches if they were going to follow me around the countryside. Jesus didn't put the onus of providing for them on them. 
But what he was doing is he was testing his friend Philip. He said, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. Says it right out there and puts it on the table. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now, what I want you to notice in this situation is that the disciples went into this story with very little. That's the smallness of the situation. And they entered into a situation that had bigness develop in front of their eyes. Allah, a miracle. But the supposition I want to make before you today is this, that Jesus did not do that merely to entertain the crowd or the disciples. Jesus had something in mind. In fact, with Jesus, it gets really simple. Just like this, there's always a bigger plan in motion when Jesus does stuff. There's always something bigger in mind. And when Jesus leads us into a situation where we don't know how it's going to turn out, Jesus always has a plan in mind. And that plan has to do with the salvation of how many people in the world. As many people as who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will say, Yes, God. Jesus wants to save as many people as possible. So he leads people into a situation where they have very little to offer so that the outcome of the situation may be bigger than they can do. This is called a miracle. And again, this is not merely for our entertainment, but it is for a bigger purpose, for a bigger picture. And it is a function of the glory of God. See, we tend to focus on the stuff that is the smallness of the situation. And in fact, what happens is in that story, um, Philip looks around and he says, you know, it would take more than half a year's wages. So all the wages of us disciples put together for half a year, if we pooled our money, worked for more than six months and pooled our money, we would blow it all on food for this entire crowd. So in other words, Jesus, why are you messing with me? Because I don't have enough money to do this. We don't have enough money to do this. We don't have enough resources to participate in this. And so why are you messing with me, Jesus? Clearly we don't have what it takes. But then what happens next in the scripture is you see Jesus go on and uh, interact with another one of the disciples in this way. In John chapter 6 and verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up here. He said, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go? Again, what is he focusing on, the bigness or the smallness? He's focusing on the smallness here, isn't he? See, we tend to do that. That is our human nature. We tend to minimize God's work based on our own human experience. Where we, at times in our life, did not have that hour to give our friend in need. Did not have that dime to put in the plate or to give online on Sunday morning. Did not have the opportunity to invite someone into the house because it was a wreck and our family was a wreck, or whatever the case was, we didn't have it to give. So that is our experience. That is our palette that we paint this picture of life from. But the good news is, is the canvas of our life is the bigness of God. The palette from which we paint may be the smallest of things, but the canvas upon which God paints the story of your life is the bigness of things. 
There's a bigger thing at stake. There's a bigger picture. There's bigger stuff. There's bigger people. There's bigger situations. There's bigger opportunities. There's bigger grace of God to be shared. And that bigness doesn't come from you and me. It comes from him. It comes right from him. So as Jesus turns away and he's got these little, you know, fish in these loaves and he's just standing there and he's getting ready to bless them and he's getting ready to do what the disciples cannot expect. He knows that there's a bigness out there. Even though he's faced with the smallness, he looks at the smallness and he sees the bigness. And when you follow Jesus, my friends, look, When you follow Jesus, what that means is you copy him. You follow him into his beliefs. You follow him into his actions. You follow him into the path that he walks. And so what he's calling us to do, the way he's wrapping up this idea of generosity for us, is he's calling us to look at the smallness of things and believe in the bigness of things in the kingdom. I want to share with you another story. This is just kind of a tangent that maybe shed some light on it. In Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 18, uh, Jesus rebukes a demon and it comes out of a boy. Now, why does he do that? Because the father of the boy took the boy to the disciples for healing. The disciples had been following Jesus around and doing the things that he was doing, saying the things that he was saying. But at some point along the way, they had this boy who was demon possessed and brought to them and they couldn't cast out the demon. So whenever humans fail, where do you turn? To Jesus. Whenever pastors fall from on high, where do you turn? To Jesus. Whenever the church doesn't measure up to your expectations, where do you look? To Jesus. Whenever humans fall apart and let you down, where do you turn? To Jesus. And so the father of this boy takes his boy to Jesus directly. And Jesus is like, demon is out. He's done. Jesus rebukes the demon and it comes out of the boy. And he was healed at that moment, the Bible says, verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and said, why couldn't we drive it out? We don't know. But Jesus answers the question. He says, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. Now look at this. Look. Bigness and smallness, right? If you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, the bigness of this mountain, right? Move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Say those words with me. One, two, three. Nothing will be impossible for you. See, the idea is this, that sometimes we think we don't have enough faith to do miracles. You know what? The answer to that is yes, that is correct. You don't have enough faith to do miracles. But who does have enough faith to do miracles? Jesus. And so whenever you look to Jesus, whenever you're looking for miracles, whenever you're expecting to see bigness and you try to see that by your own merits and by the things that you do, you're going to fall short and you're not going to see that miracle and you're going to be disappointed and you ought to be. The reason is because there's only one who does the miracle. And his name is what? His name is Jesus. So our faith is in him. When we look at the smallness of things, let's don't think about just the mere nature of the smallness of things in front of us. Let's look at Jesus with them. 
just like he did on that mountainside. So what we do is at Trinity, we take the idea of financial generosity and we lope it in with some other concepts. And what happens is we look at those expressions of generosity, serving, support, finances, and hospitality. We break them down. Serving is like this. It's either serving with your church body, like on Kid Street or in First Impressions or back at the sound booth, something of that nature or up front somehow, or it's serving out in your community or both. What does that look like? That might mean having some neighbors over for coffee just to hang out and experience the hospitality of God. It might look like having Chinese families come and celebrate with the Chinese New Year party. Even though you're not preaching the gospel, you're demonstrating the gospel. That's what serving looks like. And then support is being able to sit with someone who's having a hard time and lend your ears to them and lend your empathy to them and lend your heart to them and lift them up. In finances, it means taking a certain percentage of what you make in income and dedicating it to the work of God. And the reason you would do that not only is because God said so and God gave us a pathway to understand what that percentage looks like in our life, but also because it supports the teaching and preaching of the gospel all over the world. But now in that, you have to check out your church and find out what your church actually does with its money. If you do the due diligence on that and see that your church takes the money that it has and uses it number one and number one only to support the work of the gospel in the world, starting right here and then outward, then that's something you can invest in with eternal dollars, right? Likewise, when it comes to hospitality, just having people in your life to experience what it's like to be around God, this is a form of generosity. And the more we express these forms, the more we realize that it is Jesus at work in us. Let me say it again. The more we express ourselves in these ways, the more we proclaim and realize that it is Jesus expressing himself in our lives. It is not merely us being more generous, is it? It is Christ at work in you and me. Christ at work in you and me expresses itself in these ways. It's not only evidence that Christ is at work, but it is the opportunity for the world to see Christ at work. And it's the opportunity for us to grow in trust as we see Jesus working in us and changing the way we see things. We use this tool at Trinity called the generosity ladder. And what I want you to do is, even though the ladder is positioned in financial terms, we also include this idea of starting where you are and growing with all of these expressions of generosity. Let's review the gospel. The gospel says that you come into the kingdom of God, how? By believing what? That Jesus died for you and then conquered death and rose again for you, right? It doesn't come with any strings attached. That is it and that is all. And yet God takes us where we come into the belief and he builds the generosity of Jesus into us. So if you express that financially, what it might mean is like this. You've never given at church before, but because of this message, you feel inspired to give something in today's offering or maybe next month's offering or maybe the offering next Easter. Easter's coming up, right? Maybe the offering next Christmas. But then the year after that, maybe you're inspired to start moving toward a regular gift of a dollar amount. 
But then you discover the concept of the tithe. And you hear very clearly from the church to say this. You are not expected to go from zero to 60 in five seconds when it comes to giving financially. You see the concept of the tithe, but then you can give 1% a year. And God grows your faith through that. And then maybe the following year you move to 2%. Now take that idea and spread it across the other expressions of generosity. For example, maybe you've never invited a non-believing friend to coffee or beer before. Maybe you will hear this message and be inspired to do that. And yes, you have permission to drink a beer and talk about spiritual things. You do. Now, don't drink 10 beers and talk about spiritual things. It just doesn't work out well. But take your friend out for a glass of wine and talk about spiritual things. Here's a great question to start with. I know the church is screwed up. I know your history and your past is dark and is abusive and is full of dark things. But I want to ask you about Jesus. What do you think about the person of Jesus? Whether you believe in him or not, conversation takes an amazing turn every single time. Take that idea and spread it out to the idea of, um, of serving and giving. Maybe you've never served at your home church before. And if your home church is South Naperville, maybe you've taken, never taken the leap before. Maybe you feel like if you dive in and say yes, that Pastor Mike's going to ask you to do 10 jobs next month instead of just one, right? I promise I'm not going to do that. Maybe it'll be five jobs. But it won't be 10, I promise. But the idea is this. Maybe you've never served before, and maybe God's calling you and, and kind of playing the heartstrings that you, you, you know, got toward him this morning. Maybe he's asking you to serve. So maybe you say yes to one job. And then maybe in the future, that turns into one job twice a month instead of once a month. But what I want you to hear is this. God loves you and receives you and accepts you as you are And he grows you organically by the power of the Spirit. And the way he does that is he takes the smallness that you come with and he paints the picture of your life on a canvas that's full of bigness. And he does that incrementally. He grows you like the things that are going to start growing outside. And the idea is this. There is nothing that we talk about here in regards to generosity, whether it's time or money or empathy or opportunities to serve or whatever it might be. There is absolutely nothing that we talk about here in regards to generosity that doesn't have something to do with Jesus. Christ working in us and through us is what makes this possible for us. So what I don't want you to do, now listen, what I don't want you to do is give, serve, or be hospitable, or do other things in the name of God under coercion or guilt. That is not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God works through who? Jesus. And only through him. Not through guilt not through coercion, through the love of God as expressed by his son, Jesus. Once a year, we use this tool. uh, We call it a commitment card. On the front of it, it says generosity commitment. If you received one of these last week and you had an opportunity to pray over this and bring it back, then wonderful. 
We're going to give you an opportunity to open this up at the offering and take that perforated piece at the end there, the piece that's over on the right, where you have the opportunity to give and express some commitments in the kingdom of God. Tear that off and put that in the offering basket today. What I would suggest is if you do that, roll it up nice and tight like a burrito and then squash it. That way it remains confidential. And then what happens to this when it's collected? When it's collected, it does not go into Trinity's FBI computer system so that people with white shirts and black ties can show up at your home and hold you accountable at gunpoint. What it does is it goes into a box where we keep it closed up and we pray for you. This is a worship tool for you. Nobody takes it and puts it in a computer system and then tracks you down if you don't do what is written on this. We simply use this as a prayer tool. So if you fill this out and you put your name and your email address on there, it means you want to hear from me. And when you hear from me, the conversation will go like this in a nutshell. I'm so glad you turned that in. What can I do to help you? Let's start with prayer. And then what little tiny, small step do you want to take? Because you understand that tiny, small step is a part of what? A big picture. The bigness of God. You know, it looks like this. If you participate in the generosity of God, here's, here's an example. If you participate in the generosity of God, let's say you give 2%. At, for your, at your church. You automatically online, you have 2% of your income go to the church. Praise God. Let's say you decide for the first time that sometime in the next 12 months, you're going to serve in a different way at TSN, maybe in a way that's challenging for you. Praise God. But say in the next two weeks, you decide to take your friend out for coffee and just ask the question, how are things going with you? And you stop talking and you listen. And you demonstrate the hospitality of God in that person's life. What could happen with that looks like this. That person could hear you listening to them in a true, authentic way in the name of Jesus. And could decide at some point in time that they need more listening. So maybe they go to counseling. And maybe they deal with a hurt that they've been carrying around with them since their childhood. Maybe a good counselor helps them to deal with that and dredge all that up and deal with that. And then maybe they're open to the gospel in a real way for the first time because there's nothing blocking them from hearing the good news of Jesus. And then maybe they turn to Christ, they receive him, and then maybe they grow in faith. And then maybe 10 other people are exposed to the healing power of Jesus through that person, all because you gave them an hour five years earlier. Do you see how this works? It is the smallness of things that creates the bigness of God. All these disciples walking around bum-fuzzled because now there's 12 baskets of leftovers. 12 baskets of leftovers. Now what is the bigness of God but extravagant? Jesus doesn't do things small. He blows it out and then leaves leftovers laying all over the place. That is what you are called to participate in. 
So when you're tempted to think that what you have to offer is too small, remember the bigness of God through Jesus and follow Him there. Whatever that step is, whatever the step is, whatever it is, is loved and appreciated. Can you hear that from God today? Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for the bigness of your kingdom that it is not restricted to those who perform well, but those who trust in you. And Christ, why would we not want to turn generosity over to you and see you at work in it and feel the power, the bigness of the kingdom of God take place from the smallness of things that we have to offer. Christ, we love you and we follow you and we worship you in this. And we ask that you would help us to take yet another step in the smallness of things so we can participate in the canvas that you're painting called the kingdom of God. There are people whose lives will be changed. Let us see that as we step forward and give. In your name we pray and together we say amen and amen.